Um, we're in the final week of a series called Legends, and uh, today's really, we're going to close it out around vision and talking about God's vision for our life. And I don't propose to know God's vision for the little details of your life, but um, I can tell you that I know God's vision for your life. I don't know where you should work, but I can tell you um, your vision. I don't know if you're supposed to marry them or not marry them, but I can tell you God's vision for your life, according to the Bible, not according to my opinion. And, um, and I wanna, we were going to talk about that a little bit today. I've discovered this, that life is built on catalytic moments. If you don't know that, life's built on catalytic moment. A catalyst is something that accelerates something. It's an accelerator. I, don't, I'm not, I didn't do too well in um, biology or science, um, but I do know that a catalyst is an accelerant. Um, it can make something happen faster um, than it normally would have. It can make something move forward quicker than it normally would have. It can get you to the place that you need to get in a shorter period of time if you have a catalyst um, that is behind it. Um, you know this to be true. You had, um, in school, you had some catalysts, probably your parents, right, um, that were pushing you forward. Are you following me? Um, and maybe you felt how great a catalyst they were when you got to college, and you're like, oh, no one's forcing me to go to class. I can sleep in. Come on, somebody. Um, and, but you have these catalysts in your life in different areas of your life that push you forward um, in different areas. And sometimes the catalyst can be good, and sometimes it can be bad. You can have a catalyst that pushes you down a negative path, um, or you can have a catalyst that pushes you down a good path for your life. Um, but either way, we have all have moments in our life that were really monumental moments, if I had to guess, that were um, caused by a catalyst. And most of the time, the catalyst in our life are people. They're relational. There's somebody in our life that says something that, that makes us think about something different, that helps us to move down the path a little bit quicker. It's someone that opens a door for us um, that otherwise wouldn't have been opened. It's someone we meet, and because of meeting them, um, it takes us down a path that, that catalyzes some things and pushes us forward um, faster than we otherwise would have. It saves us time, sometimes years, sometimes many years, sometimes a decade, it can save you often of heartache and trouble if it's the right catalyst. Um, I was thinking about catalytic moments in my life, and um, I remember a pastor that in my high school, senior year of high school, I, I met, and um, he was a catalyst in my life. He, he opened up my world to a bigger world um, than I had been a part of before. I'd been a part of um, much smaller churches. That's what I grew up in all my life. And he, he, he pastored a church of about 1,000 people. And I remember walking into it the first Sunday, and I was like, whoa, what is this? Um, I've never been in anything like this in my life. And they had drums on the stage. And I was like, aren't those of the devil? Like, can you do this in church? And they had guitarists. And I was like, wow, what is happening here? Um, this was like 20 years ago. And I was, uh, I was just amazed by this. And it opened up my world to bigger things. And then he would travel and preach. And sometimes he would take me with him. And, and I would experience different environments that just catalyzed some things in my life. It, it, it gave me a learning curve that moved me forward a lot quicker. Are you following me? Um, I think about... Um, Sam Truitt, a pastor named Sam Truitt, who when I was 14 years old, we, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I'm a church boy. Like, I grew up in the church all the time. Um, like, if they were washing windows, we showed up. Like, you know, we were always in the church. And so that's Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Sunday night was different than Sunday morning. So you went three times, and Wednesday night, you went three times a week. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Y'all were at the bar on Sunday nights. Um, I'm glad you're here. This church is for you. Um, but we, we would go Sunday nights, and one Sunday, one Sunday he was like, hey, Daniel, 14 years old, um, he says, you're going to lead the music tonight. 
I was like, say what? And uh, he was like, no, you're going to lead the music tonight. And it wasn't the worship, it was the music. You're going to lead the music. Y'all following me? And, uh, and you're going to pick out the songs. And so I got myself a hymn book. Come on, somebody. And I picked me out some songs. And I would do the whole, I would do, you know, singing, standing as we sing on the first and the third stanza of the hymn. And I had the whole thing going, you know. I was 14 years old, and I, it was a debacle. It was a train wreck. I'm just telling y'all. It was a train wreck. It was bad. Um, but he let me keep doing it and got better and better. But he was a catalyst because at 14, he put me on a platform and put me in front of people. And I didn't know that I'd spend a large majority of my life speaking in front of people. But he was a catalyst that got me farther down the road. It wasn't, I didn't have to wait till my 20s to get the first opportunity to do that and then learn. I got to learn from 14. It was a catalyst. It accelerated some things in my life. Are you following me? Um, I had a professor I was thinking about in college in my sophomore year of college that took me to lunch one day in the cafeteria at school, um, that wonderful food, and sat down with me, and he said, Daniel, God's got his hand on your life, and he's got a calling on your life, and he's going to do something great in your life, but you will sabotage it because you are so arrogant. It's a great lunch. But it was a catalyst in my life that caused me to really look in my life and go, is this true? And I need to evaluate that because if I will fulfill my potential, I cannot do it being arrogant because my God resists the proud. And so if he's resisting me, then I cannot fulfill the potential of God for me, but he gives grace to the humble. And so it was a catalyst in my life. And I think these moments, are, these are moments that I look back that cat, were catalytic in my life. There was, there was a catalyst moment in my life whenever a group of 50 people from Spotsylvania called and said, would you become our pastor? We want to start a church. It's a catalytic moment. Didn't know what it would all become and didn't know that because of that moment and that catalyst that you would be sitting here today. You're the benefit of that catalytic moment in my life. And and these are catalytic moments and they're moments that happen where people push you forward. And so here's my... Um, my stated goal today, unashamedly, is to be a catalyst in your life, everybody's life. I want to be a catalyst in your life, and I want today to be a catalytic moment where you look back and go, it pushed me forward. Now, here's the deal, is that it can be a catalytic moment, but if you don't embrace the moment, then it doesn't become one. I could have sat at that lunch table with that professor and thought, you've lost your mind, and just responded in arrogance to him and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'm not arrogant and gone on with my life and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I had to embrace the catalytic moment. The same is true. Everyone that ever met Jesus um, were, was changed except for one I think about, which was a rich young ruler. It could have been a catalytic moment in his life, but he said to Jesus, what you're saying to me is too hard for me to receive and so I'm not gonna do anything with it. And here's the deal. You can either take what is given to you today and receive it and it'll become a catalytic moment that could save you pain and save you heartache and push you towards God's destiny in your life and save you even years maybe. Or you could walk out and go, nah, that's nice, but I don't think I'm going to do anything with it. So I'm going to set the table. Whether you eat or not, it's up to you. You with me? I'm going to serve the filet with Bernays sauce on a hot sizzling plate with a side of asparagus and lobster mac and cheese. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but whether or not you partake is up to you. You with me? 
I want to be a catalyst. I want to be a catalyst towards you having vision for your life. I think many of us, we walk through life without vision. You know, vision is just a picture of a preferred future. And we walk through life without vision. And when we walk through life without vision, then we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. Oh, we, we may know, oh, I've got to get up and go to school tomorrow. I've got to get up and go to work tomorrow. But we really don't know what we're doing with our life when we don't have vision. You know, vision will say your yes is for you and your no's for you. Vision will let you know in what direction. Vision creates guardrails for your life. And maybe you're thinking, I don't need a vision for my life. Like organizations have vision, and they should, and, and churches have vision, and yes, they should. But no, you should have a vision for your life. And today I'm going to tell you what it should be. Not my opinion. I'm going to tell you what God wants for you. It's not anything that the church wants from you. It's what God wants for you. And I want to show you what God's vision is for your life from the scripture. The Bible says this about vision in Proverbs, one of my favorite verses. It says this, where there is no revelation or vision, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where there is no revelation, one translation, the King Jimmy I grew up on, says where there is no, somebody else grew up on him? Where there is no vision, the people perish. The people perish. This is the NIV. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Well, what that simply means, where there is no vision, the people perish, is not that they physically die. It means that you can live through life but be dead on the inside because there is no fulfillment and there is no purpose and there is no direction of where you're going. But when you have vision, you don't cast off restraint. You live fulfilled because you know that you're winning. How, how um, horrible would it be to wake up every day and not know whether or not you're winning at life? And the scorecard continually changing. So some days you feel like you're winning because the kids were obeying you, if that's the vision. And some days you don't, or some days you feel like you're winning because you're getting along with your spouse, and then you're like, other days you're not winning. And so you're constantly up and down. Am I winning? Am I not winning? Are we moving in the right direction? Are we not moving in the right direction? Is this what God wants or not what God wants for? When there is no vision for your life, how do you know what the scorecard is of your life? How do you know if you're moving forward? I don't know about you. I'm kind of competitive. I want to know if I'm winning. And I can't know if I'm winning if I don't know what the vision is. But when I have vision, it lets me know what direction I'm moving in. It lets me know what I should say yes to and what I say no to. I have vision for our family finances. This is an easy one to kind of give a picture to. And because I have a vision of where I want to be in our finances, it tells me my yeses and my noes. It tells me my yeses and my noes. You ask me something, will you go spend this on that? I can tell you, no, probably won't. Why? Because I have a vision. I have a vision. I'm not going to get to the end of my Career and end of, I don't plan to ever retire. I just, I do plan to hand the church off to somebody. Then I just plan to walk around and like do whatever I want because I'm old and they'll be like, God bless him, he's old. <laughs> and when you're the founding pastor, what are they going to say to you, right? Like when you started it, what are they going to say to you? I just walk around, interrupt things, <laughs> take staff out to lunch for four hours, like lower productivity, I just, be like, I just plan to do stuff like that. Go to the college, show up and randomly teach things. Um, that's, that's my plan when I get old, just kind of wander around here. Um, but if, I wanna, if you want to get to the end of your career and know that you can retire and know that you can bless your kids and be like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take all the grandkids to Disney. Come on, somebody. Like, but, but you can't do that if you have no vision for it. It's not just going to happen. It's not going to be like, oh, look, I can do this. 
No, you gotta have vision. You gotta plan for it, strategize for it. You gotta, you gotta have a process to get you to the destination you wanna go. If you have a vision that you and your spouse would, would make it the distance and that you would have a life and once all the kids are out of the house that you would still know each other, then you better have a strategy and a vision. Are you following me? You better be doing some things now. You better implement some date nights. You better take some vacations without the kids. Figure out a better amen than that. That's pretty weak. Some of you are like, without the children, we can't go without the children. You better go without the children because when they get out of the house, you'll look at each other and go, who are you again? That'd be a sad place to be. You, you, you made them, you can make some more. That's what I tell my kids. I made you, I can make another one of you. You talk sideways, Tammy's down there going, no, we ain't making no more. Anybody else grow up in that house? You even look at mama sideways and it's like, I will take you out. <laughs> That's what I grew up in. You will wake up next week. You talk to your mother again like that. But you gotta have, you gotta have a vision. You gotta have a vision for your life. And, and I wanna show you what I believe God's vision is for your life and it's, it's what our church wants for you. And um, I don't have time to take you all through the scriptures. And, and I could show you this from Genesis to Revelation. I really could. Where these four things I want to share with you. And you see them. They're in the church news. They're on your welcome guide. They're listed. These four things. Everything. It's what we make every decision through as a church is these four things. Because we believe that this is the spiritual pathway towards God's vision for your life. Because at the end of the day, God wants you to grow and mature and become everything that he wants you to be. But it's a journey. And there are steps in the journey. And so I, I hope to be a catalyst today that would make you take a step. That's it, just one step. That's all I'm asking from you. That if I could be a catalyst that would cause you to take one step, I believe it'll change the trajectory of life. Because one step followed by another step by another step. But just today, just one step. And then maybe tomorrow, another step. Maybe next week, another step. But just today, start with, I think we can all do one step, right? I'm going to show you to it in Ephesians. I'm going to show you in two different translations of the Bible. So I think one you see it even clearer than the other. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's praying for the church in a place called Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians. Um, it's a letter that he wrote to them, and he's praying for them in the very first chapter. And he says this. He says, I keep asking. Like, this is his constant prayer for them. And this is my constant prayer for every one of you, is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, and here's what he prays that he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What he means by that is that God would like allow the light bulb to come on for you. And that's what I pray for you. And, and have, I know you've experienced this before maybe, that you've heard something a hundred times and then someone else says it from a different way and you're like, oh, I get it this time, right? Um, I'm praying that happens for every one of you today. That, that you just get a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation just means that something is revealed. It's a light bulb moment. It's like, oh, I finally get it. I understand it. I'm praying that happens for you today. And this is in this area so that these things can happen. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is coming so that. This is the so that. So you may know him better. Number one, that you would know him better. Know capital H him, know God better. That's my prayer for you. I want you to know God. I want you to know God. Not know about him, I want you to know God. And he also says this, he goes on, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Not, not the physical eyes that you see through, but your, your spiritual eyes. You have eyes in your heart if you don't know that. Not like physical eyes, they're not like on your heart looking around like, you know, 
You don't need mascara for them or anything. Like, but how many of you know that you see your life through your past experiences? You see your life through your baggage often. We don't want to admit that, but you see your life. You see your life through the experiences you've been through, both good and bad. This is the eyes of your heart. That's what Paul's talking about. And he wants them to be enlightened. He wants them to be open, to see things for what they really are, not see them through what your filter says they are. And we all live with a filter. We all live with some kind of filter on our life, and it could be because we had absentee parents as a child, and so we have a filter. It could be because we went through a divorce, and the pain of that caused a filter. It could be because we were rejected by so many people in our life that it caused a filter in our life. And so he says, I want the eyes of your heart to get open. And this is why. He wants them to get open for a reason, not just so they're open, just so you have to dig up all this stuff in your past and deal with it, not just for that, but there's a purpose. In order that, this is why, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. You can't really know your calling in life until your eyes of your heart have been opened. Why? Because you see through a filter. You can't see things as they really are. You can't see things as God wants you to see them because you're seeing them through the filter of your baggage so you can't fully know your calling. And if you can't fully know your calling, you can't really be fulfilled. You will forever be searching for things to bring you fulfillment and they will always leave you empty because you were created for the thing that God has made you for, but you won't really be able to see that until the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. And then he says this, the riches, he wants you to know the hope and he wants you to know the riches. The riches of what? Of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He has an inheritance for you. He has something for you to take hold of. But you won't know it if you can't see it, and you can't see it if the eyes of your heart aren't enlightened. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Let me show it to you in the message. Um, the message version says this. It says, I ask the God of our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, here it is, to make you intelligent, are the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, that's the same passage, make you intelligent and discerning. In other words, that you can see things that you can see things, that there's clarity in your vision. Not this vision, this vision. Are you following me? That, that this wouldn't be clouded, that this wouldn't be foggy, that you could see things for what they really are, that I want you to be intelligent and discerning what? In knowing him personally. I want you to be able to know God personally. That's what he says. And then he says that your eyes be focused and clear. What is that? That's the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Want them to be focused and clear. No fogginess, no spots, just clear, 2020 vision in your heart to see life for the way that it really is. Here's the deal. If you don't have your own heart enlightened, you'll never be able to see when other people's heart isn't enlightened. But once you get clarity, you can see it all around you. All around you. It's like I see dead people. They're everywhere. It's, it's a good movie, right? But, but once, once the eyes of your heart become enlightened, once you get free from bitterness, you can see bitterness in other people. And why does God do that? Why does he do that? Because he wants you to ingress. He wants you to know what it is he's calling you to do. Did you know that most of the time your calling is birthed out of your pain? Because once you get free from it, you can see it in other people to help them get free from it. So what he's called you to do, that's what he wants you to do. Number three, I want you to know your calling. Well, I'm not called to full-time ministry. No, but you're called. God has a calling on your life. He has something for you to accomplish in the earth. 
You were not put here by accident. You were not put here just to get through. You were not put here just to work Monday through Friday so you can get a vacation at the end of the year and so you can get and finally get retired so you can just mow the yard and sit on the front porch and drink coffee. No, that is not the life God has called you to. You are not called to waste your life on such petty things. You were called to make a difference in the kingdom of God and establish it in the earth. You have a calling. And so he wants you to know what you're called to do, but you can't know what you're called if you can't see it. Your eyes have got to get open. And so he says he wants you to grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life that he has for you. What is this glorious way of life? Well, Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come to serve, be served, but to serve and to offer his life up as a ransom for many. It is the glorious way of life of God that you would use your life to make a difference in the lives of other people. That is the glorious way of life. You should be clapping better than that. So, let me break down these four things for you real quick. Number one, just take notes on this. We want you to know God, and this is what God wants for you. What did he say? I pray that you would know him personally. And so that's our heart for you, is that you'd know God. If you're here today and you can't say that you know God, not know about God, not have intellectual assent to the facts and figures of God, I know that. The Bible says that the demons know God and they flee. They know about him. I'm talking about knowing God. I'm talking about an intimate, personal relationship with God. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about did you get perfect attendance in Sunday school. That's nice. Proud of you. Takes a lot of discipline. Actually, it takes a lot of discipline from your parents to get you there all the time. But that doesn't mean you know God. I'm not talking about do you know how to raise your hands in worship. That doesn't mean you know God. That just means you know how to lift your hands. You can do that at a football game. I'm talking about, do you know him? Do you have peace with God? See, the scripture says this. It says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that knows my name will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because it's not about knowing about God. It's not about some religious system you grew up in. It's not about some hoops that you jumped through. It's not even about people telling you, well, you're, you're, you're a good person. The Bible says that none of us are good, that we all have sin. It's not about can your good outweigh your bad. It's not about how philanthropic you are. It's not about how generous you are. All those things are wonderful. It's about do you know God? Not do you know about him. You don't get grandfathered in. It doesn't matter if your grandmother knew God. You don't get grandfathered into this. You've got to know God. It doesn't matter if you had a praying mom and a praying dad. It doesn't matter if your grandparent on your mom's side twice removed was a pastor. You've got to know God personally. It's got to be personal for you. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not about talking about church membership. Church membership will not get you into heaven. It could get you into some business meetings that are anything but heaven. But it will not get you into heaven. You've got to know God. You've got to know that Jesus died for you, that he shed his blood for you, and that he resurrected three days later for you. You've got to come to a place where you realize that there's nothing good in you, and there's nothing good that you can offer. 
but it's simply his grace and his mercy. Paul said it like this, that is not of our works that we could get any credit, but it is only of his grace and of his mercy. It is by faith through grace alone, not of your works that you can boast, but it is the gift of God that comes from above. So it's not about can you be better, can you turn over a new leaf. It is have you come to a place where you realize there is nothing you could ever do or have ever done to merit the mercy of God and you surrendered all to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. So I ask you today, do you know God? It is his vision that you would know him if you don't know him. The one step I pray you take today is that you would go from being far from God to being close to God. The Bible says if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So do you know him? Every campus. Maybe you're watching around the world on television. Do you know him? Do you know God? If not, God wants to know you. He pursues you. He is a God that desires you. He is jealous for you. He gets jealous when he sees you giving yourself to other things. He's like, no, 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 come here. You're my child. He's not looking to condemn you or beat you up. He loves you. He loved you so much, he demonstrated his love for you in that while you were still in your sin, Christ died for you. No matter what you've done, Christ died for you. No matter where you've been, Jesus died for you. And you can know him. You can know him personally. And today, you need to take one step. One step into that relationship with him. It's the step of surrender. So we want you to know God. You all with me? Say amen. amen. Number two, we want you to find freedom. We want you to find freedom. Old school, if you're growing up in old school church, they would say we want you to find deliverance. But that kind of conjures up videos of like crosses and holy water and people just, you know, just some freaky stuff. So we stay away from deliverance. We go with find freedom. Too many, too many weird movies out there. And some weird churches, but just... We'll keep that between us. But we want you to find freedom. Find freedom. All this simply means is that you have some yesterdays you need to deal with. And for some of you, you've never had the tools to deal with them. You've never had a format to deal with them. You, you've dealt with the pain of, of the rejection of the divorce, but you've never known how to deal with it. And now it's shading how you trust in every relationship around you, and you wonder why you feel stuck. Some of you have never had a safe place to deal with the sexual abuse of your childhood. And now that is affecting the intimacy of your current relationships. And you haven't had a place that God doesn't want you walking around carrying all these bags. He says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. He wants you to walk in freedom. You don't have to live bound. You don't have to live you don't have to live hurting and sending shrapnel to everybody in your life because of your outburst of anger, sir, because you don't know how to deal with some of your insecurities and the pressures of your life. God doesn't want you to live like that. He's got a better way for you to live. But you've got to do it by finding freedom. And here's how you find freedom. And this is why so many people walk in bondage. And I know that's a strong term. And some of you are thinking, I'm not in bondage. Yeah, you are. Because this is an ever-growing process of getting free from our yesterdays. Because you're like an onion. God will peel back a layer and then he'll go, you'll be like, oh, I'm free. And he'll be like, we just got started. <laughs> There's another layer. Yeah. 
and there's another layer, and there's another. You know why? Because he's so committed to you becoming everything that he wants you to be. He's so committed to anything the enemy meant for evil in your life. God is going to turn it for good in your life. Every chain will fall. Anyways, God... God will find freedom. But, but here's why so many people don't live in it, because the kingdom way of finding freedom is so antithetical to the isolation that we like to live in. And it's this, it's found in James. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. That's the part we get stuck on. I'm fine confessing my sins to Jesus, but the Bible doesn't say that you'll get healed if you confess them to Jesus. It says, confess your sins to Jesus and you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, to him and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But it does not say that when you ask for forgiveness from Jesus that he sets you free from the pain of it or he sets you free from the baggage of it or he sets you free from the issues of it. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Yeah. Healing comes from me talking to somebody else. So if I want healing in an area of my life, I've got to find somebody that I trust, that loves God, that'll pray with me and go to them and say, I'm still bitter about something that happened 10 years ago and I need to get freedom from it. And I need somebody that's godly enough to go, I'll pray with you about that. We're going to walk through that and you're going to get past this in Jesus' name. You need that. You need somebody in your life that you can go, I never told anybody this, but I was sexually abused by my uncle for five years when I was a kid. And I went, you need somebody to say that to. You need somebody to go, I'm so overwhelmed with insecurity that I'm constantly giving myself away to men that don't want anything to do with me afterwards. And I'm filled with shame, but I'm in this cycle. I need freedom. You need somebody to talk to that'll pray with you. And it ain't Facebook, for God's sake. For God's sake. You don't need to put your mess out in front of everybody, but you do in front of somebody. Are you with me? And the way that we do that here, the way that we create that, the structure, right? If you're going to have a vision, you've got you to have a strategy to get you to the vision. The strategy that we have is what we call small groups. It's not our strategy. We just saw it in the book of Acts. It says that they met in the temple in like this in a large gathering, and then they met in homes, and they broke bread together. And what they do? They prayed for each other, and they shared with one another, and they studied God's word together, and they moved forward in their journey with God together. And so today... I have one really, really big step I want you to take is I want everybody in our church to move into a small group. Just one step. Some of you are not in a group. One step, get in a group. That's it. That's it. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be weird to pull up somebody's house. I don't know. I get it. I get it. I'm kind of introverted. I'm in a group. I lead a group. And I'm kind of introverted. It's much easier for me not to be in a group. I'm around people all the time all the time church God's blessed I'll travel and preach I'll be in a, I'll preach in Ohio Wednesday night I'll be around thousands of people I'll be so tired I'm so introverted it exhausts me are you with me then I'll come back here I'll be around more people but I need community if I need it you need it 
So you need to take the step to get into a group. Why? Because it's in a group that at some point, I'm not saying in the first meeting, the second meeting, the third meeting, I know you gotta build trust, but at some point, you can get that mask off that you wear and go, I need to tell you something. I need you to pray for me. You need some friends, here's what I know. It's the way that we make a really big church get really small, is in community. And you need some people in your life that are going, hey, you taking your next steps? Are you moving forward? You need some people in your life that you can pick up the phone and go, you need to pray for me, because I'm gonna kill them all, all the kids. I'm gonna kill them all right now. Pray that I don't kill all the children in my house right now. Am I the only one that's... I'm gonna change the locks. I'm gonna put them outside and lock all the doors. So today at every campus, right after service, you can get into a group. We got all kinds of groups. Some of you, you know, there were so many cards that I prayed for over the last 21 days that were here that were financial freedom. You know what? We got financial small group. You know how you're gonna find financial freedom? Not with a raise. Because that raise will just make you more in bondage. Because your eyes can't see how to do it right. That's why you're in financial bondage. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to help you. So you need to get into a financial small group and get freedom. That's why I, I didn't pray you'd get a raise. I didn't pray you'd get free. I prayed you'd get in a small group because I knew in there you'd get free. You're like, thanks for the prayers. There's men's groups, women's groups, co Co-ed groups, there's all kinds of, there's something, every, every student needs to be in tribe. Why? Because we want them to find freedom. They need a group, they need a place where they can be, get authentic and real. And, and parents, you should want them in tribe. Because some of them have begun to move into the place that happens in adolescence where your voice doesn't carry that much weight anymore. And you want some godly people like our student team that'll speak the word of God into their life and that'll tell them, thus says the Lord, here's what you need to do. You should want that. You should want that. You should want that in your life. So I want you to take that step. Number three is this. We want you to discover your purpose. What did he say? He said, I want you to know God, and then I want the eyes of your, to, of your heart to be enlightened, right? I want you to get free from all the stuff from yesterday so you can see your tomorrow's. So that, this is why all this happens. Why? Because there's, there's something for you to do. There's something God wants you to accomplish. All this isn't just so you can live... You know, happy on the farm. You're like, I'm free, I'm saved, I'm free, it's awesome, it's cool. No, he says, so that, because there's something you, you gotta do. And he says, so that you'll know that which to he has called you to. So that you'll know your purpose. He's called you to something. You gotta know your purpose. He's gifted you, he's wired you. He's given you a personality, a unique perspective. Every campus, you walk into the room and you see things the way other people don't see them. That's a gift. Some of your friends are like, no, it's annoying. <laughs> no, it's a gift. God's given you a gift. And he wants you to discover your purpose. This is why we talk about growth track all the way. That's the system. If you're going to have a vision, you better have a way to get to the vision. Growth track isn't just some thing we do. It's to help you get on God's vision for your life. It's, it's, it's the vision. It's in growth track. You're going to find out what your personality is. You may not even know what it is. You're going to go through it, and we're going, to, we're going to help you assess it and show you what it is, and you're going to be like, oh, my goodness, that is so me. We're going to help you understand your spiritual gifts. If you know God, God gave you spiritual gifts. 
He gave you gifts. There, there's things about you that are just like, I don't know, it just comes easy to me. It's a gift. It came from God. It don't come easy to everybody else. Everybody else, it's not that simple to everybody else. But to you, it's just like, that's simple. It's not a big deal. It's because you got a gift. It came from God. It came from God. Listen to what the Bible says. It says this, we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. God's given you a gift. It's through his grace. And we all have different ones. And why do we have those? So that we can live his glorious way of life. Isn't that what it said? What's his glorious way of life? It's that we wouldn't build a life that just matters for us. We'd build a life that matters for others. So number four, so that we would make a difference. So that we would make a difference. Listen to what the Bible says that we're supposed to do with these gifts he's given us. They say God has given each of us gifts of his great variety of spiritual gifts. And listen to this. Manage them well. Your manager. Manage it well so that God's generosity can flow through you. Listen to me. With all the love in my heart, some of you have stopped up the generous generosity of God from flowing into the earth because you're poorly managing the gift he's given you because you're sitting on it. You're sitting on it. You're doing nothing with it. You come in week in, week out. Here's talk about growth track. Here's talk about making a difference. And you just keep sitting on your gift. Some of you have been coming year in and year out. You've never taken a step. And then you wonder why you don't see any traction. Wonder why it seems to be lack of fulfillment when you really stop and think about things. It's because there's no vision. But if you get on the vision of God for your life, God will take you places you never dreamed possible. God will do things in and through your life that will blow your mind. You'll get to the end of your life and go, I didn't waste it. I fulfilled the purpose of God in my life. I made a difference in the lives of so many people. You'll get to the end of your life and go, if I can't say anything it's about this life, here's what I want you to say. If you can't say anything else, I hope you'd be able to say this at the end of the day. You could say, when you lay your head down and breathe your last, I knew God. And I lived this life free, not bound by junk. I knew why he put me on the earth. And I used all that to make a difference in the life of other people. I hope you can say that. And you can start today. Just one step. That's it. I'm not asking a whole lot from you. And I am making a big ask. Usually every Sunday I encourage you and I preach my guts out and I'm screaming and, and I just, I leave everything here and I go home and collapse. And I don't ask a whole lot of you. But today I'm just asking one thing. Just take one step. Just one step. And that simple step is this. If you don't know God, encounter God today. And if you know God, the one simple step I'm asking you to take, to get into a group. Just get into a group. Just go out today. Don't put it off. Find a group. Husbands, lead your wives. Find a group. Step up. Say, we're going to go get in a group. We're going to go find a group today. We're going to get in a group. We're going to make it a priority. We're going to put it on our calendar. And we're going to do it just for a semester. I'm not asking for the rest of your life. Just do it for this semester, 13 weeks. 
13 moment, 13 nights, I'm going to give. Thir- I can do it for a semester. I believe it'll change your life. Will you pray with me at every campus? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and the step you do need to take is to know God. We've created this whole environment to introduce you to the wonderful person of Jesus. So if you're here today and you would say, I don't know, when you were talking, I don't know that I know God. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray with us. And in that prayer, you're gonna be able to meet God. Confess to Him that you're far from Him. Confess to Him that you want to know Him. And today, on the authority of God's Word, we believe you'll be saved. If that's you, you'd say, Pastor, that's me at every location. Campus pastors, please take your platform. You'd say, that's me, and I'm gonna count to three. I want you to just shoot your hand up high. And if that's you, you just do that on three. No one's gonna embarrass you. We're gonna pray together on three. One, two, three. You shoot it up high all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. You can put it down. Church, let's pray this together for the benefit of those praying it for the first time. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, church, let's thank God for those who made that decision.